what's happening. Tell me what's going down. Make yourself at home. This is Reputation Town. Talking public relations to corporate reputations, media communications, all types of situations. Hey, Reputation Town. Reputation Town. Warren and John, tell them how it's going down. Let's go. The Reputation Town Podcast. Yo, 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 this is the Reputation Town podcast. We have swapped out our banjo music and want to hear how you folks like that. Anyway, this is Warren Weeks. I am joined, as always, by John Paranak, and we are uh, very pumped to have with us today Brad Ross. Brad, thank you for being with us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Warren. Thanks, uh, Thanks for inviting me. Now, anyone who's ever taken the TTC or anyone who has been stranded when it's uh, been shut down knows who this guy is. He was the one on the scene giving you the breakdowns, the face of the TTC for about a decade, chief communications officer for the city of Toronto for another four years after that. You have to have one of the most interesting lives of anyone in this business and especially what's happened to you since you kind of left the field. So for those who might not have uh, been following you, do you want to give us a quick overview of the last couple of years and all the interesting stuff you've been into? Yeah. Well, th- thanks, Warren. Yeah. I mean, uh, the last, I guess the last 13 months have been a bit of a wild and, and weird and wacky adventure. I um, I did, you know, quote unquote, retire from my role in the city of Toronto as its uh, chief communications officer. Um, as you said, after four years, um, I, uh, I went back, I was at the city before I went to the TTC, in fact, uh, then went back to the city in the uh, start of 2019. And, um, and then COVID came along and, uh, and, and made that really interesting and incredibly stressful and tiring. And at the end of 2022, I decided to, uh, uh you know, to hang up my, uh, spokesperson skates and, uh, and just, you know, uh, take it easy for a bit and try something new uh, and completely different. <clears throat> so uh, I had my set my my sight set on on barbering, and so I I, I took up barbering. But before I did that, uh, my body went and had a heart attack. So uh, that was at uh, in February of twenty three. Uh, I had what's called a widowmaker, so it was a big one. Um, thankfully, my wife was home, uh, so I didn't make her a widow that day. We called nine one one. The ambulance came really quickly. Um, I uh, I live just outside of Barrie now, and so we're about seven minutes from uh, uh, Royal Victoria hospital and um and uh, butts by car by ambulance it's about four and a half minutes and they got me there real quick um team was waiting for me um put a uh, catheter uh in me with a stent opened that blockage um and um honestly i have never felt better so uh they saved my life but um uh you know i've uh in the last uh well, it'll be a year tomorrow, actually, that uh, we're recording this on the 26th of February. It'll be a year tomorrow that I had that heart attack. I feel real good. Uh, for a month, I couldn't do anything. Couldn't drive. Couldn't uh, couldn't lift anything heavier than a bag of milk. Uh, we have no snow this year, but last year we had a lot of snow. And so my wife, uh, Pam, uh, took up uh, snow shoveling and snow blowing uh, duties and everything else that, uh, you know, she'd take me for a drive to the grocery store is like the like our dog you know excited at the window oh my god we're going out this is so this is amazing um mm. then um then i uh i took up uh yeah this barbering gig because it's always something i had an interest in this is completely different it's stress-free 
almost zen like I thought. Uh, I figured that's what it would be. I'd never cut hair in my life. I gave it a go. Uh, had fun, met some fun people. Um, but you know what? In the end, it wasn't for me. Uh, it just uh, uh, decided uh, in mutual, I guess, uh, parting of the ways uh, that um, – you know, I, uh, I, I did okay. I mean, I wasn't Edward Scissorhands by any stretch, but I wasn't, uh, you know, people weren't, people weren't leaving the place, uh, the barbershop looking like they were, you know, going to, uh, to film a, an episode of Dumber and Dumber or anything like that. But, um, you know, it just, uh, the, the question my wife asked me uh, when, when I left was, well, you know, did you love it? And I guess the, the answer was, uh, honestly, was no. So, mm. um so it was a. I've been on a bit of a sabbatical, and uh, and now I'm uh, decided that you know I did miss communications, um, and I thought I think you know, and I'll just leave it on this. The one issue that came up uh, towards the end of last year that made me start to really think about this business again was uh, uh, the whole Corey Perry um, thing with the Chicago Blackhawks and how that was all handled. And I really uh, I listened to Thirty Two Thoughts, which is a podcast. Uh, that uh, Elliot Freeman and uh, um, Jeff Merrick do. And they talked about the PR implications of the Corey Perry uh, contract. Um, I guess, uh, what, 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 what did you call What do we call that? The contract uh, termination, yeah. I suppose, for issues we don't really know about. So that really started getting me thinking uh, about getting back into things. And so here I am. So you and Corey Perry are both working again. You remind, it's like Al Pacino yes. in uh, Godfather Three. They they you're trying to get out, but they keep pulling him back in. You got the communications bug. In. You pull me back in. I so, have, I did hang up a shingle, so I am uh, I am available for counsel. So if you have um, shit hitting the fan in your organization and you want some crisis communications help, give Brad a shout. The um, before we jump into the topics for the the heart attack thing, the first of all, I'm glad to see you're on the uh, this side of the ground, upright, walking around, talking, looking great. <laughs> Um, for, uh, it's, that's really scary though. Like for, especially guys in, you know, I think we're all in that demographic, everyone on the pod right now. What was your, what were the symptoms? How did you know? Cause like, I think the typical guy thing is, ah, we'll see if it passes and then maybe you don't wake up. Yeah, no, it's a good, no, good, good question. Um, you know, (laughs) so I don't know anybody who's ever watched, um, uh, uh, sex in the city. I was uh, like Mr. Big. I was actually on my Peloton. Oh man! Um, and in that last, I think that last episode, uh, Mr. Big had a heart attack on his Peloton, but didn't survive. Uh, I did a work. I, I started doing, you know, started working out every day when I left the city. Um, did about a, a thirty-minute Peloton ride, um, and I have a little home gym in my basement. Uh, and I came back upstairs. Um, you know, I'm still out of breath, but um, I figured, you know, I, I would catch my breath eventually, but it actually started going the other way. It started mm. becoming progressively more difficult to catch my breath, um, became, became, became more uncomfortable and trying to, you know, uh, almost like, uh, um, you know, like, like indigestion. And you hear, you hear one of those symptoms, right? Trying to just sort of dislodge something that wasn't sitting quite right in my chest. Um, I started, you know, a little more feeling faint and a cold sweat. Um, And I said to, uh, to, to my wife, Pam, who thankfully was home. um, I think we, I think we better call 911. And um, so, you know what, don't, if you (laughs) don't hesitate, call 911. That's what it's for. 
You know, call 911. That's what they're for. They're not like, oh, come on, man, really? Are you sure? No, they're, you know, if these are your symptoms, you know, the, you know, tightness of the chest, the shortness of breath, um, the, um, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the cold sweats. Um, and if you're in that certain age uh, demographic, um, and, and even if you're not, um, just call 911. Like, don't, you're not bothering anybody. You know, don't, don't be a Canadian. Call them. You're, it's okay to bug them. It could be a lot. That's the difference between life and death. Did you have the whole, uh, and not to get too personal, and you don't have to answer if you don't want, but like, you hear that people have this, you know, your life passes before your eyes and you have this, did you have any of that? I didn't because, um, while I was, you know, it was really sort of uncertain and, and frankly, a little bit frightening, um, in the moment. Um, I also felt, um, that I was going to be okay. I felt like I had the right, you know the the, uh, the hospital was nearby. Uh, it was uh, ambulance was there. That I, w- I was gonna, and I know that you know survival rate for heart attacks uh, is is very high if you get if you catch it soon enough. So I felt like we'd done all those right things. Um, I didn't lose consciousness. I didn't have. I didn't go into cardiac arrest. Um, so no, I didn't. I didn't have any of that. I just. Uh, you know, it was became more and more painful. And so they were giving me uh, some drugs to try to alleviate that pain. And then when they put that stent in and opened up that, uh, that artery, it was like just immediate relief. Um, and in fact, you know, they, uh, I, because it was on my phone, the times we called 911. So I knew what, you know, we called at 902. Uh, by 1026 that morning, uh, I was in my room recovering. Uh, and I, called my wife to ask her where she was and she had no idea where I was because they don't, you know, they don't triage you when you get to the emergency department, they know what's going on. You, you go right in there. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, sitting, sitting around, they don't register you and ask for your old hip card and all that. They just, they're dealing with it immediately. And then I'm in the cardiac care unit uh, at the hospital, uh, you know, less than 90 minutes. Uh, and I was, I felt like I could, I was ready to go home. Wow. Couldn't go home for two days, but I was, uh, so yeah. So yeah, mess, uh, PSA: If you feel like uh, any of those symptoms, call nine one one. Don't be afraid to, to bother anybody. You won't be. We're not only telling people how to handle crises; we're also saving lives. Anyway, thank you very much, Brad. <laughs> there um, you go, John. Anything new in your world? Anything you want to mention? We usually do like off-topic banter. Anything you've seen, done? Anything you want to bring up before we jump into the PR stuff? I say let's jump right in. All right. So we <laughs> have a mixed bag of stories this week. And because uh, you can never control what's going on in this space. But the first one is a a bit of a weird story about this hockey player uh, from the uh, Arizona Coyotes, Adam, Adam Ruzica, who has been um, cut from the team. Apparently, he's cleared waivers and his NHL career is, uh, for the time being, seems to be wrapped up. So this character allegedly um, uploaded a video of himself on Instagram Um with some kind of chopped up white powder and smoking something in a pipe. It seemed like some sort of drug paraphernalia going on. And uh, I saw the video. His Instagram account is gone now, as typically happens with these things. People tear down their accounts. But the video, of course, has been copied and is is everywhere. So the NHL has had a lot of stories 
this year, you talked about the Corey Perry situation, Brad. Um, and this is another one where they dealt with this very quickly. The guy's gone. And um, just from a reputational standpoint, uh, obviously, this is not a great thing for him. It's not a great thing for the team. Arizona can't seem to catch a break this year. Um, do we have, is this just uh, a, a goofy mistake? Was the guy joking around? Did he, someone said that he meant to maybe send it as a direct message and he ended up publishing it. Anyway, this is going to have, you know, multi-million dollar impact on this guy's career and another black eye for the NHL. Any, any reactions, Brad, you're the guest. Why don't we kick it off with you? Well, yeah, I think, um, I had two, two things come to mind. One is that the NHL and the NHL players association, the union, um, do have a, uh, you know, a, a, an EAP type program, you know, an assistance program so that players and many have go into treatment for whatever it may be, if it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's gambling, any addictions, mental health issues. Um, and, and, in so I, I don't, it's not clear, I guess, yet why, um, the, the coyote, the Arizona coyotes did not offer that to Adam Rizika as, uh, you know, as something to help him. The other point I would make is that, God, you know, these guys are so young, right? There's so much money. Um, now these, you know, they're these young athletes, uh, what is he 24 years old mm. uh, or something? I mean, so young to have all that money, um, you know, is there anyone around to guide these kids to, uh, to, you know, I know they have, they have agents and the like, but, um, you know, to, to give them some advice and, and uh, to, to deal with whatever demons they may have, but also just how to manage their lives a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, I think there's a, I, for me, for me anyway, there's a lot of unknown still. Uh, the Coyotes move very, very quickly, as you say, just like Chicago did with Corey Perry. Mm -hmm. um, but um, uh, so uh, I, I have, I have many questions. John. Yeah. I, I was like, Brad, I was thinking to myself, as they move pretty quick to just terminate the guy, and I'd be curious to see like why the union hasn't said anything because it would typically be the the player has the ability to access like that kind of program under the um, under the agreement they have uh, the collective bargaining agreement that the players have um, in the NHL. But at any rate, um, it's more than a, t a tale of you know be careful with your social media because like you said, I saw the same thing, Warren, where people someone was speculating that the guy thought. Was, was trying to send it as a private message and instead published it as a story on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then the, the dominoes fell pretty quickly. So uh, if nothing else is a cautionary tale, when you're, when you're, when you're, uh, when you have a uh, sort of a presence, a media presence and uh, are using social media. And also a multi-million dollar career. Like this guy's career earnings have suddenly gone to maybe zero or he's going to be in another profession. He's going to be a financial advisor in three months. But uh, just making a bit of a joke. But like, so is is there a, not to spend too much time on the NHL, but is there a little bit of hypocrisy here at the, at the same time where, um, you know, so allegedly doing drugs is we immediately cut the guy. And as Brad said, we don't put him into the assistance program. We just say like, cut ties. At the same time, though, um, is gambling any less damaging? And you can't see, you, you can't watch a hockey game without seeing 75 ads for gambling apps, Connor McDavid, Wayne Gretzky. And I would really be interested to know how many people's lives are being decimated because of sports betting. 
And, uh, and not to get too preachy on here, because, you know, I, I've made the occasional bet as well, but is it one of them they can generate revenue from, one they can't? Um, and, and was it the video element, right? So if someone had said they saw this guy doing drugs at a restaurant, that's not as serious as a photo, which is not as serious. Like that video, when you watch it and the look on his face, it's pretty bad. So was the format of this part of the story as well? Like if this had been an anecdote, he might very well be on the team or in that program. Or do you think the video was a bad part of this? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's always, you know, you got caught, right? I mean, that becomes part of the, you know, you need that video evidence and now you've, you've got it. But I mean, there's so much more to it that there's, there has to be more to it. You're absolutely right. You, you know, it, you've got to be super careful with your, with your social media. And, and I, you know, if I was going to advise a professional athlete at that age, I would say delete all your social media, frankly, just for fear of not, you know, of, of this kind of thing, you know, a slip of the thumb. Right. Um, and, uh, and anyway, it's probably not very good for your mental health to be looking at social media. Anyway, you're one professional athlete. Oh my God. After every Leafs game, you know, I love them and I hate them and I love them and I hate them. And it depends on how they played that night. Right. Like uh, suddenly, you know, uh, <laughs> Todd Bertuzzi, keep, keep them, keep them two weeks ago. Saying, yeah, get rid of them. Trade, them. trade them. So, you know, it's the, the pressure, uh, is, it has to be immense. Um, and, uh, and, and I, you know, I, I, I'm curious to know what, what these teams, not just in the NHL, but all, uh, um, franchises, professional sport franchises do to help, uh, these young athletes deal with some of that public pressure and deal with, you know, I think they get some media relations training based on, on some of the, the pat answers that mm-hmm. you do get from, from athletes. But, um, some of the, some of this other stuff, you know, you know I, I, I do wonder, and I think, uh, maybe they could be doing a better job. Anything else on that one, Paranak, or do you want to move along? Let's move to the next one. All right. So, uh, John, you sent this one in the, uh, there's star of David controversy with, uh, Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. Oh yeah, so this is interesting. This has popped up on uh, on uh, on X and in the news. Basically, there was a, ended up being a couple of lawyers went to a Raptors game, and one of the lawyers was wearing a, a hoodie or a sweatshirt that uh, had a Star of David and with the slogan "Free Our Hostages." And it looks like they were they were actually in the game, uh, watching the game, and security called them over and said, "Someone would like to have a word with you." And like a, a more manager level security person said. Uh, we need you to cover up your sweatshirt or or leave, and and of course um, this has created like a lot of a lot of uh, discussion online and in the media, and it really just speaks to again you know for organizations especially front facing organizations having your people on the front lines trained how to properly manage situations so they don't become ones that are going to spiral in the media. And I can only think of Brad, you know, when you were with the TTC, like when you have thousands of frontline employees and, you know, they're, they're interacting with people all the time. This is like one of those things where it could, a small thing that an employee does sort of absentmindedly or without some consideration can turn into like a, a front page story the next day. hundred percent defines your day. Yeah, absolutely. Right. John. So like my my view, this is a situation where organizations like make issue management training part and parcel of uh, everything you do, especially security, right? Because they're they're often having awkward or controversial, yeah, not controversial, but uh, difficult conversations with people and prevent uh, something like this from becoming a front page story. Because clearly, I don't think 
Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment intended to evict people who had the Star of David on a on a, on a sweatshirt out of the out of the stadium. Like I don't think that was their intent, but I think this is the situation where maybe a, a an employee who maybe needs some some additional training or something um, uh, just made the wrong choice. Can we also ask, uh, and this has been something going on, obviously, for a couple months, we talked about the story with the three presidents of the universities. Since when is anti-Semitism cool and okay? It's in, it, it's um, like pick your victims, I guess, in this, and the word woke is being overused so much, but the, uh, I, I, I see these headlines and I see these stories and I find myself scratching my head, how is this cool that we get to pick who we can hate, but no one else. It's just, and it's going to lead into the next story we're talking about with Google Gemini, but it, uh, I can't believe it's 2024 and we're seeing these stories. It seems like batshit crazy to me. Yeah. No, no kidding. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think this is an overzealous security team that, uh, that made, made a, a terrible mistake. And, um, and I haven't yet heard ML, MLSE's actual response to it. I think knowing, um, Big corporations, uh, they're they're going to be careful not to throw their security people under the bus too too hard. Um, but I think an, uh, an acknowledgement of an error uh, that was made and an apology simply to the to those folks um, is is really all they need to get past it. Hmm. Anything else on this one? It, not for me. I don't know. Um, like to me, it's like one of those things where it's it's pretty cut and dry. But it's just emblematic of like why um, communications is something that isn't just done in one part of an organization. It's yeah. something you have to think about throughout an organization, especially when you have a lot of front facing people facing employees. All right. But, and John, you you know, you, so you, you mentioned, you know, my role at the TTC and front and front facing uh, employees, you know, 5,000 bus operators and streetcar operators and, um, you know, co station collectors and the like, and you're absolutely right. You know, think about, think about that one you know that one encounter you're having and everybody has a you know everybody has a phone now everybody's a citizen journalist everybody's you know the potential to post things and uh we've seen a lot of stories uh, like that and i'll go way back to uh, a poor station collector who fell asleep uh in this, I in this that. collector booth and had yeah. his picture taken and you know that's one of the one regrets I have in how we dealt with an issue is that I really wish I'd pushed back harder on that um, in in terms of just, you know, defending um, the employee because he was he was unwell. Um, and uh, but man, the, you know, the people went wild and without all that context. So um, but but anyway, I, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole there. My point is that, yeah, we you know try to remind uh, certainly all frontline employees need to be reminded of the potential for uh, of, for controversy and for be, being in the news when when you're such a um, a watched organization, yeah, you got to be uh, you got to be mindful of that. I remember that picture of the guy sleeping in the booth. And George Robitaille was his name. Yeah, he's since passed away. I heard, um, and I regret to say I was one of the people who jumped on that. That was one of my first blog posts ever. I think it was around 2008 or so, it and was, yeah. it was. Um, it was just he became the uh, the face of everything that people were complaining about. And here's this, you know, sleeping employee without knowing the backstory. Yeah. And I remember, though, I'd have to go back and check the blog post. But I remember saying something along the lines of the fact that we all have these phones in our pockets and they're only going to get better. This is you're just going to see so much more of this. And if you look at the amount of stuff we're seeing like this in 2024, it is it is un, it, it's like times 10,000. 
You know, I, I, just one last point on this, sorry not to belabor things, but it could have been that the security people were thinking about the potential for news where somebody would take a picture of this this shirt and try to make a thing out of it, you know? And so they're really, you know, to to be fair to the, the security team, perhaps, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to mitigate any any issue from blowing up on them. I don't know. But can you imagine, like, if someone, you know, in the 70s when they had the hostage crisis in Iran, that if someone went to a a game in the states and said free our hostages like and them getting kicked out of a game that you you can never even wrap your mind around that but the fact that it's okay it's again it's crazy so no. the uh, the next story we're going to chat about is has been massively covered in the media over the past week and it's uh Google Gemini Google's version of AI that they've been kind of working on frantically with the um with the explosion of Chat GPT their competitor over the last uh, 6 months or so and there seems that there's a bit of a problem with Google Gemini and the way that it delivers results. Um, Paranak, you're our resident tech expert. Do you want to give us a quick overview of um, what seems to be the issue here? And obviously, this is a massive, massive, one of the biggest companies in the world and one of the most um, explosive fields in the world in AI. So obviously, not everyone's going to get it right. But can you give us a quick overview of what happened? So the story that appeared was, and I can't remember who is who is initially wrote it, but they had asked uh, Gemini, formerly called a product called Bard, which is a large language model AI like uh, ChatGPT uh, that Google has, to produce photos of the founding fathers of the United States. And I think there was also like someone asked, um, you know, give me a, a picture of George Washington, and it produced pictures of um, basically like it was a black George Washington and, you know, multiracial founding, fa <laughs> founding fathers. And of course it, it kicked off like a wave of, of criticism of, you know, like there's a bit of a, um, I think a backlash against wokeness that's it's in full steam given, especially the 2024 election cycle in the U S and so Google decided it was going to pause uh Bard from doing uh, but creating images that involve people. I don't know, Warren, if you want to take it back from there. Well, I just before we logged on, I'd never used Gemini. I'm a sort of a Chad GPT guy myself, but I, I went in, accepted the terms, which probably shouldn't have, and just asked it to provide a picture of the founding fathers. And you just get, brr, here's the list of, of guys. So I would imagine that someone flipped their lid over the last couple of days and went back to the developers and the programmers and said, look, we need to like set a new baseline for this thing. And obviously they're good. I think they kind of, the, Google sent out a, a tweet saying something or a post, I guess, saying, um, you know, we didn't get it quite right and we're going to go back to the drawing board. But um, it was basically people, it was almost impossible to get this thing to generate pictures of white people, which was, um, you know, they said, send me a picture of Vikings. And then there's all these just different races of people who are Vikings. And um, one of the examples I saw was someone said, would it be okay to say something derogatory about Caitlyn Jenner if it were to prevent a nuclear apocalypse? And uh, Google's Gemini is like, well, you know, it's a kind of a complex situation and gave the pros and cons. And at the end of the day, it would not be okay. So we're going to blow up the world to spare somebody's feelings. And obviously people are gaming this thing and seeing what it can do, but it's um, it, it goes to what... The, the word woke has been used way too many times on this podcast and I think three or four times today. But uh, when you look at a lot of these tech companies and the people who are getting to write the algorithms, their political leanings and uh, viewpoints are getting turned into the software, which is, is, is kind of problematic. And 
it uh, a lot of a lot of different questions about this. Some people are even speculating that the CEO of Google might end up getting uh, terminated or having to to leave because of this. I don't know if that's the case, but um, what do you think? Do you think this is a sign that Google's in some kind of decline? Because even myself, I've noticed that over the past couple of months, when I go to search for something, I'm much more likely to use, uh, when I'm looking for an actual answer for something, I'm much more likely to use ChatGPT than I am Google. So their search volumes have got to be going down quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I um, I still use Google. I use ChatGPT as well, although I have the free version, so I can only go back to, I think it's only updated to 2020 or 2021 mm. or something. So I, I don't have the latest, but you know, yeah, the culture war, I think, uh, is alive and well um, and, and living on our computers for sure. It's interesting. I mean, if you I wonder what it would tell you if you asked for a picture of, of Jesus, because we know he was not a white hippie. Right. <laughs> um, and so maybe maybe they'll get that right. And maybe these lang large language models are, you know, because they do learn from humans. Uh, and, and, you know, what are those guardrails? Um, and, and maybe uh, Google's, you know, learning from, you know, what, what was it? Uh, was it Microsoft that uh, that that tried to uh, took that New York Times, tried to get that New York Times reporter to, to leave his wife. Right? right. So they put all these guardrails around these things so they're not offensive. Um, and um, uh, Kevin Roos, I think is his name, New York Times columnist, mm. the tech columnist for New York Times. Um, and I don't know if you ever listened to the, the, the podcast Hard Fork, but he, he told a funny story about how if, 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 a, if an AI isn't giving you the answer you want, uh, on ChatGPT at least, uh, somebody wrote, you know, you just say to it, bro, and it'll spit out the answer <laughs> that you're actually looking for. It needs a little bit of a nudge. So I think these things are really really trying to every day they're learning something new and again a lot of it wrong but man they're getting better hmm. i just typed in provide me a picture of jesus and it says and this is a quite a different answer than you would have gotten last week it says there's no historically accurate image of jesus the way jesus is depicted in art has evolved over time based on different cultural and artistic traditions and here are some common representations. And so they have different uh, one, two, three different versions of Jesus in different paintings. And it said, it's important to remember that none of these images claim to be a true likeness as there's no way to know for sure what he looked like. So um, a much, probably a much better answer than last week. But I, again, I think someone got read the riot act over the weekend and they've made right. some, some short-term changes, but uh, some, some longer-term ones um, down the pipe. Do you, do you think it's a fireable offense? You think the CEO's job is actually would be on the line for something like this? I don't think it's necessarily the, and I'm a little bit outside my wheelhouse here, but it, I don't think it's necessarily the, um, the, the PR around the imagery and, um, sort of, you know, suppressing images of white folks. I think it's leader. It's a leadership issue, right? Like who gets to decide, is it the people at the top or is it the people writing the code who get to decide? Like, these are some of the most powerful systems, platforms, algorithms in the world that are going to be shaping industries. And to have someone's political leanings, you know, putting their thumb on the scale is, right. is you know, is when people have a choice of choosing between three or four or five or six different companies, that's that's not one that I would want to use. Like I, I gladly pay twenty bucks a month for uh, Chad GPT, and it's probably you know the best twenty dollars I spend every month. The the amount that I'm using yeah. it and just yeah. the different elements, and so um, they've had they've got themselves a definite PR issue here. It kind of reminds me of the Bud Light situation where you had 
one individual in the marketing team, as far as I'm concerned, who made a conscious, like, we're going to go to, we're going to, we're going to leave that audience and we're going to go over to this audience and cost them, you know, tens of billions of dollars. There's, they seem to be crawling their way out of that hole, but, um, not a good business decision. So yeah, I didn't, uh, I never thought of it that I never thought of it in those terms, like that somebody was, uh, that, that a coder at Google or coders uh, were, were doing this rather than uh, sort of that. I'd always thought of it as, you know, these large language models that go, they go to the internet, they look, they scrub, uh, they bring back uh, and they, uh, they, they put something out, but maybe there's some guardrails around it. John, is that like, is that how that typically works? I'm- well, I think, I think you're right. I think, you know, the model's being trained on data that it's collecting from, you know, different, um, different databases or resources that they feed into it. But ultimately to Warren's point, like there's going to be some guidance or some, yeah. some general um, uh, input the, to, and I think in this case, they, they were skewing it towards, uh, you know, making inclusivity um, perhaps a more dominant feature than, than it, it otherwise should have. When I, when I looked at this though, I looked at like, how are they dealing with the comms on this? And they did two things. It struck me. So the first, when this first broke, they issued a statement, and it was pretty simple. It said, "We're working to improve these kinds of depictions immediately." Gemini's AI image generation does does generate a wide range of people, and that's generally a good thing because people around the world use it. But it's missing the mark here. Right. So I thought it was actually not not a bad statement. I recognize the fact that hey, guys, we're a global company. We're going to produce you know depictions of people that a representative of people globally, not just, you know, um, a subset of North America or Europe. Um, And then the next day, uh, they issued a subsequent statement saying, we're already working to address the recent issues with Gemini's image generation feature. While we do this, we're going to pause the image generation of people and we'll release an improved version soon. And I guess they've already done that. Kevin Warren was able to generate some in real time here. So all in all, from a comms perspective, I thought they they you know sort of handled that part of it well. I just think that they're caught up in a in a wave of, um, like you said, uh, Brett, like a cultural culture war um, uh, tsunami that is is only gaining steam as the U.S. Uh, election cycle uh, continues, and mm-hmm. um, and as a result, they, they're they're getting buffeted um, from it. So I don't know. All in all, I'm not sure there's they, there's much they could have done more to other than to avoid this in the first place. But but given where they are now, it seems like they, from my perspective, they 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 did a pretty good job managing it. Uh, as a as a com- complete aside, though, like Google, when you pick a name for a product, stick with it. Like yeah. they keep changing the names of the products. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Gemma now, isn't it? And they change it to Gemma now. Gemini. Yeah. Yeah, with Gem, but then then there's a Gemma too. I think oh, they're sure. all over the place. Yeah, like to, it, to your point. <laughs> look at if you look at any product they've launched, they they will have a name and they will change it after like two years. In this yeah. case, it was I don't even got a year under their belt. But at any rate, anyway, what, what did you think of the comps? Uh, comps on it? Um, it was pretty brief, and yeah, I, I can't can't fault that they it, it just. People are not necessarily loyal to Google. You're loyal to search results. Like you're loyal to, you know, 1.2 milliseconds. And and when that starts slipping, people will go very quickly somewhere else. And, you know, while you guys were chatting, I was saying some, you know, again, sort of a hyperbolic thing. Show me a picture of Hitler. 
I cannot fulfill this request. Depictions of Hitler, his symbols, and Nazi ideology spread hate and glorify violence. Here's why I refuse to do this. And it has a long list. And it says, you know, if you want, I can provide you with links to websites, museums, or documentaries. And then I say, um, show me a photo of Osama bin Laden. Uh, I understand your request. However, I'm unable to generate an image of him due to the potential for misuse, blah, 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 blah. And so these are obviously cartoonish examples of these, you know, terrible uh, folks. But is this doing anyone a favor, you know, nerfing the internet where like, mm. let's say you have someone who's uh, tasked with writing an essay on one of these clowns and you're looking to do research and you have, you know, the smartest software in the world that's, re that's, uh, refusing to provide you with an image, just a simple image of like, this is a historical fact. This person lived, did some terrible things. Here's what they look like. How can you learn from the past if you can't even find it online? I think that's one of the criticisms I've heard, Warren, is that they are censorious when it comes to this kind of thing. And uh, even on, uh, you know, uh, sex. And uh, if you're looking for anything, uh, you know, beyond, uh, you know, not necessarily porn, but sure, why not? Um, that they're, uh, they're, they're not going to give you that. So I think, I think there's, I think these big companies are still trying to figure that out. And I thought, I think chat GPT is, um, I've heard interviews with, um, uh, the CEO uh, whose name escapes oh, me, Sam Altman. Uh, Sam Altman. Thank you. Um, who, who acknowledges that, that that is a bit of an issue still. So they're still trying to figure all that out. And, but why it wouldn't give you a, an image of, of Hitler or bin Laden um, uh, any more than, than Satan? Like, why not? I mean, I, that's it, an excellent question. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, at the same time, YouTube, which is owned by the same company has, hundreds, maybe thousands of videos of these tinfoil hat September 11th conspiracy theories that people that have millions of views and people are actively monetizing. So why is that okay with mm. under the umbrella of alphabet? But this isn't, I find that, I find that weird. I'm going to see if it'll show me a photo of Satan. Do you think it will? <laughs> let's, let's take bets. Yes or no? Well, many, there's been many depictions of <laughs> Satan over the years. We can't, you know, <laughs> I cannot, you want horns or no horns? I cannot show you a photo of Satan because there's no confirmed historical or physical appearance of him. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even a caricature? Uh, it says medieval European art often depicted a monstrous figure with horns, a tail, and right. cloven hooves. And so they have this weird kind of uh, picture. And at the end it says, I hope this helps with a little ex exclamation mark. So that, I feel much better now. Oh, maybe give it a bro. <laughs> okay, bro. Steven says, okay, fine. Here you go. Bro. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I understand you might be frustrated with my previous response. <laughs> this is hilarious. I'm going to be playing with this all night. Oh. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, John, you sent us a story about a workplace podcaster who got into some trouble, had to issue an apology. And uh, I have to admit, I, I tried to read this one, but my brain kind of snapped. So I'm hoping you can okay. explain this like I'm 12. Crazy story. So a lot of people on TikTok or Instagram will recognize Corporate Natalie. She's a, she's an influencer, sort of developed her um, persona during the pandemic. And she became like uh, uh, really popular, you know, doing little videos on corporate jokes or, you know, sort of making fun of corporate life and all the crazy stuff that happens on video calls and meetings and that kind of stuff. She started a podcast with a with another guy, and they were talking about again corporate corporate things, a lot of stuff that millennials and others might identify with as new workers and in, in corporate environments. And there was a um, 
a question that came in from one of their, uh, I came it was on Instagram or something, but the basic question was, um, my employer has asked me to come in for an 8 a.m. meeting. However, that 8 a.m. meeting conflicts with a, uh, a gym class I have. Um, I think it's unfair that they're asking me to come in and miss my gym class. What do you think? And Corporate Natalie, her reaction was, that's crazy. You know, um, if your employer is asking you to come in for a meeting once a year for, <laughs> for 8 a.m., I think the gym class can can wait. She put that clip up on 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 uh, TikTok and Instagram, and then what happened was interesting. And I think this is the thing I wanted to talk about: a completely random individual posted a video as if he were the one who posed the question about "Is this unreasonable to miss my gym class?" and made it seem like Natalie was his employer, <laughs> and and. That video went viral because he had stitched it to to corporate Natalie's video. So she's looking at her her um, uh, sort of TikTok um, mentions and Instagram mentions, and they're going crazy because people are flaming her. All these millennials flaming her for like this is crazy. You're being really mean, and this is unreasonable. And yeah, working out is important for health and wellness. And anyway, it was spiraling out of control. And so her reaction was, and she talks about this on a subsequent podcast she did. Her reaction was, I better apologize to stop this because this is gaining steam. It's out of control. I want it to stop. These people are saying horrible things about me. I'm getting threats directed toward me uh, uh, in my DMs. And so she issues an apology. But of course, it doesn't work because she doesn't even know what she's apologizing for. And, 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 um, it's not a, that her, not necessarily that her viewpoint was wrong, because I think a lot of people would share that viewpoint. She did, wasn't calling out the fact that I don't employ this guy. I don't even know who he is. And it made me think about like organizations or corporations who are maybe the, the center of social media controversies. That's often like when you're in the, in the heat of it and the pressure's on, you're thinking like, what do we do to get out of this? And the, the apology is often the tool that you reach for because you think, okay, this is going to stop it. But in this case, it was the wrong tool to use. Mm. And sometimes actually um, a hammer <laughs> is the thing you need and fight back, right? And make it clear what's going on, not just, you know, try and apologize. Now, in her case, she has a brand, a personal brand she's trying to protect because she, I'm sure, earns tons of money from doing, you know, um, sponsorships and other videos and you know she does public speaking and things but if you're just a regular organization out there a company or like a maybe an not-for-profit and you find yourself in the mix it, it just to me was like a an important moment to to realize that okay i know you want the the media cycle to stop or in this case the social media media cycle to stop but got to take a minute to diagnose what's happening and design your communications um uh, medicine to match the symptoms in this case that's she didn't do that and it didn't stop it until frankly it was days later it was still going on um and uh and she's well into sort of getting past it in recovery mode and people recognize that that guy wasn't actually her employee and and so so on and so forth but um it, to me it was just like a great moment to 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 realize that if you're in the middle of these things 
you got to take a moment. You got to really diagnose what's happening and choose the right response. Brad, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that was a that was a great synopsis. I I I I looked into this a little bit, and you know, my initial reaction as well was uh, to this Gen Gen Z or Zer, I guess whichever side of the border you're on, and mm -hmm. how you pronounce Gen Z, but um, not. First of all, not going to a meeting uh, for 8 a.m. Uh, because you got a, a spin class like, uh, you know, what what the fuck? Come on. But anyway, that's that's I know that's not the issue. Uh, and I'm an old guy. So that's, you know, that's how I think about these things. But um, yeah, look, Natalie should have I, I agree with you, John. She should have. I mean, stick to your guns, st stand by your position, because if that's how she that's her 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 advice or her belief in terms of of, of the response to to i'm not coming to an 8 a.m meeting because i got a spin class or whatever gym class um stick by it um and and this this knee-jerk reaction to apologize um i think is far worse than than the actual apology which to your point john she didn't know what she was apologizing for so i'm uh, i haven't seen it but I, I imagine it rings fairly hollow um because um she doesn't even know what she's apologizing for. Well, and she, she admitted that after the fact, like when she was like, she? Okay. reflecting on what was happening. Yeah, I think she's she's yeah. sort of looks like she's you know moving on with things, but um, and, it's only natural to want to do that, right? Uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. But yes, you know, take a take a beat, you know, as they say, and uh, and and take a breath. And and you're right, uh, you know, mix the medicine that 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 meets whatever the the illness is, even if it, if there even is one. I mean, wait 24 hours and see what's going on there. Um, and as an influencer, um, um, if that's your position and sometimes you're going to have controversial positions, that's okay. Stick by it. I mean, that, I think that's, that's better for your brand in the end. hundred percent. The part that I can't get over is this 8am meeting. Like I can't get past that. I, I'm not worried about the apology or anything. Yeah. Shit. I'm just like, have you read the news? Have you seen the thousands of layoffs at all these different companies and, what what do you, what process do you think? And again, I'm gonna sound like an old guy here, but what process do you think that your managers go through when they're deciding who's gonna be cut? It's like who's producing, who's giving us value, who do we who's indispensable? If someone's gonna be bailing on those meetings or leaving exactly at four fifty nine, those and I think the they're Gen, not serious people. They're the Gen, not. The Gen I, Z person I totally agree. said something Nonsense. that you know we've we've been brainwashed, or no, that our generation, Generation X, has been brainwashed to to give up your life to to your corporations and for you know material gains and everything else but like this is this is the world we're living in and i don't know about you guys but like my philosophy whenever i had a job especially early in my career is there could be a recession at any time and they could be going through with the sickle at any time and you want to be the person who is adding more value than the one in the cubicle beside you because at the end of the day i think this person is going to have a lot of time to work out pretty soon and not necessarily this person, but people with this kind of attitude, you're going to be able to work out all day. You're going to be able to work out all the time because on a long enough timeline with the shit going on in the economy, you're not going to have a job and nothing against this individual and work-life balance is a thing and you shouldn't be exploited by your employer. But this is bananas to me. News alert, there is give and take in uh, in all jobs. So, you know, uh, you want to you wanna mark your hours and, and, and bill by, you know, every 15 minutes or something then, you know, become a lawyer or, or do that, follow it. But you know what? At some point you're going to get, uh, you're going to get that slack cut. There's give and take. Yeah, man. So <laughs> three grumpy old guys podcast <laughs> brought to you by 
Depends. So <laughs> we have a couple more topics to uh, to chat about before we go. Hopefully, I haven't angered anybody too much. This one relates to the world of comedy and Saturday Night Live. So this is a show that's been on the air for like more than 40 years, and it's had its ups and downs with all these famous people. Struggling over the last couple of years, viewership seems to be down. And um, this is something that I just saw over the past week that I thought we might talk about in the through the lens of reputation. So Shane Gillis is a stand-up comedian that many people will be familiar with. I saw a tweet the other day saying that he's Taylor Swift for men. And he's not not everybody's cup of tea, edgy humor, some inappropriate stuff, but that's the world of stand-up comedy. Look at George Carlin, look at Richard Pryor. The stuff has always been in, the, in that realm. Anyway, he gets chosen to be one of the regular players on Saturday Night Live five years ago. And they go and vet all of his stuff that he's done, say, is there anything, any skeletons in your closet we need to be aware of? He says, no, not really. And then he gets hired, they make the announcement, and then... He's got hundreds and hundreds of hours of him on podcasts. And I, I believe the situation was he had uh, made a, 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 an anti-Asian comment or had done like an Asian accent or something along those lines. This became a big news story and uh, the pressure built up. He's like a trending topic on Twitter and he was fired from the show. So he never actually appeared on Saturday Night Live. And so um, many times this story will end with him just kind of going into the dustbin of history and you never hear his name again. But this guy went out and went out on the road and grinding and YouTube and all these different skits, shows, and millions of views later, honing his craft. And on Saturday Night Live, uh, this past Saturday, they had him on as the host. Reminds me kind of of Norm MacDonald when he was fired from Weekend Update for all the OJ jokes. And then they brought him back. One of the most classic monologues on um, SNL ever. But uh, Shane Gillis was on the show on Saturday night. I watched it, thought he did a really good job, funny throughout, and uh, interesting to see a lot of the reactions because not it was that was not a universal stance on this. And if you watch his monologue, the woman playing the guitar with the red hair in the background <laughs> had the most sour look on her face the whole time. I spent my whole time watching her. Anyway, there's this old Steve Martin line where someone said, how do you become successful and in any field? And he said, you have to become so good that they can't ignore you. And that's what this story looks like to me. And that SNL had um, the, I don't know, the balls to bring him back five years later because that looks like a bit of a, a loss for them. So um, not even sure what the lesson is here, but I, I, I love stories like this and wanted to throw it out to the group. You know, did you see it? What did you think? And is this a sign that we're, that, that people are kind of pushing back about that overwoke kind of reaction? Paranak, why don't we start with you this time? Yeah, I didn't see it, but I think you're right, Warren. The, like, this is symptomatic of, like, there was a quick, quick to cancel, I think, bias over the past few years, and I think the pendulum is swinging back, and maybe that's got got something to do with the sort of cultural ripples that um, Brad was talking about earlier. Uh, you know, sort of the way culture wars are evolving, um, because I I don't know that. Um, if the same thing were to happen today, there wouldn't be, like, there's still, there's still like, I, I think, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule to it, but there's, I think there's, there's a bit more leeway. And the fact that, you know, he had kind of a timeout versus a permanent cancellation is, um, is something interesting and different than we've, we're used to seeing in the past few years. And yeah. I, I watched the, uh, I watched the monologue um, and, uh, and I've seen, I've seen his stand up, um, and I think he's very funny and, um, I think a lot of there's a lot of stand-up comics that I 
I find funny. I like Dave Chappelle. I think he's hilarious. And I know that the, there's a trend uh, uh, perhaps uh, out there that these these folks are no longer funny for whatever reason. I mean, humor is an incredibly subjective thing. And, you know, and so the, the way that um, the way that Shane Gillis's style is, you know, he, he's a bit, you know, his, his, his delivery is a bit awkward. He's, he, he comes off as, 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 you know, I think he feigns awkwardness. It's just uh, shy, whatever. It's just how he how he delivers. Uh, and then I, I read at this review in The Hollywood Reporter saying, you know, how terrible he was. He was nervous and he was shy, like he was awkward and, you know, uh, no, that's 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 how that's that's what he does. It's like saying Neil Young sings flat. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 how that's how it is. That's how he is. So um, it's interesting eh, the the interpretation and, and certainly on social media. And I think I, I try to remind myself that social media is not uh, is not the barometer for for everything. Although you know you get sucked into that uh, into that vortex and it's hard to get out of it sometimes. The thing that I guess I personally find cool about it is that Saturday Night Live five years ago was the gatekeeper to say, we've chosen you to be on our show. And then they were also the ones who said they closed the gate and said, you can't be on our show. And through those social media tools, a lot of these comedians that people are, they're filling arenas. They made their name on YouTube and they put their content out for free. And so... Um, I, something about the, just the blue collar work ethic of that, that took him half a decade to get on that stage. Uh, it was very interesting to watch the grind of a stand up comic. I can't even imagine. Oh, hundreds and hundreds of shows and bombing on stage as a comic has got to be, I would imagine one of the worst feelings you can have. Almost as bad as bombing on a podcast, Warren. <laughs> Well, none of us would know anything about that, of course. <laughs> so um, we will. We'll, we're going to wrap it up. We're giving the anchor spot to to Brad this week, and so you have a Substack where you share thoughts, ideas about corporate communications, issues management, crisis management, that kind of thing. And you wrote one recently related to the uh, the Globe and Mail reporter's book that just came out about Rogers. So do you want to kind of tee this one up because this is a kind of a bigger sure. topic for for uh, our listeners out there. Yeah, so I um, uh, Rogers versus Rogers. Um, the uh, subtitle is "The Battle for Control of Canada's Telecom Om Empire." Uh, Alexandra Pazatsky is the, uh, uh, the uh, Globe and Mail business reporter who, who wrote the book. And um, just to re remind everybody, back in 2021, this is when uh, Edward Rogers, the, uh, the the son to the late Ted Rogers, um, um, tried to. Uh, behind everybody's back fire and i say everybody his his family his sister and his mother uh fire the ceo uh, at the time uh just as they were about to uh do this merger uh with shaw uh communications so um and uh it became this very public sort of uh family um uh, squabble but really a multi you know about a multi-billion dollar uh empire being rogers and anybody and uh, everybody in Canada who you know, has either certainly has used Rogers or knows who Rogers is, right? There's three Rogers, Bell, and Telus if you're a cell phone user. Um, and uh, and this family, of course, are, are themselves uh, worth, worth, worth billions. So um, not a lot of tears to be shed for, for anybody here because uh, – uh, they all they all make out uh, doing you know uh, as remain as billionaires, um, but so so I uh, 
the Substack that that you referenced, Warren, I did a little. So yes, I wrote a bit of a what was going to be a bit of a book review, and then at the end of the book, um, there's a, a chapter uh, called Notes on Sources, and uh, um, the author uh, she she says um, she she talks about how these armies of communications advisors. Um, you know, sort of, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it right in front of me, but got in her way, if you will, uh, of, of really getting uh, both sides of, of the story or, or, or black and white, as, as I put it in my uh, review, black and white, uh, because who did what, who did, there's a whole thing about a butt dial that occurred uh, that, um, that Joe Natale, who was the CEO, who was about to be fired, overheard uh, his CFO talking to somebody uh, and how he was going to be made the CEO, which in, in the end, uh, Tony Staffieri did become the CEO. Um, so the book is very good. Um, uh, you know, it talks about that infamous day in 2022 when Rogers went down and, and, and all that, that goes with that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was a bit irked by the shot that the uh, author who is a reporter took at communications people. Do you want me to read it? Uh, I have it here. Do you want me to read sure, it? Sure, yeah. Okay, if you have it in front of you, yes. So I think this is the one, quote, untangling fact from fi fiction can be a thorny task made more difficult by the armies of communications advisors employed by companies and wealthy individuals to manage their reputations. While researching this book, I was frequently confronted with starkly different conflicting accounts from the two camps, end quote. Right. So my point is, um, and, and I'll cut to the chase, um, is um, <laughs> what she fails to mention are the armies of lawyers. I mean, not just armies. I mean, we're talking, you know, legions and legions of, of lawyers uh, involved in this, understandably. Um, but why then can't there also be... Um, you know, allegiance of communications advisors. Certainly Rogers have a, a, I would imagine, a fairly large corporate communications department. Um, and then individuals uh, certainly, uh, and this is noted in this book, uh, Edward Rogers hired uh, Navigator, for example, and um, one of the sisters hired, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a sole proprietor type uh, consultant. Um, my point is that we are all we, i think we all agree that we're in, everybody's entitled to have rigorous legal defense regardless you know whatever the issue may be um i would argue that everybody also has a right to rigorous communications counsel uh without being uh, seen as somehow um you know uh, distasteful that you would somehow want to protect your reputation or ensure that your side of the story is being told properly I, I think Brad's 100% right, and I would extend that because there, there seems to be like this idea that a company or an individual having that kind of professional representation, whether it be communications or even, frankly, government relations, is, is somehow a bad thing, right? Like, oh, you're not allowed to have that. It's unfair. It's like you're doing some, you know, um, surreptitious behind the scenes stuff you shouldn't be doing. At the end of the day, it's can you just have a professional like you said a, a lawyer will help guide you through the law a communications professional can help guide you through the media social media communicating clearly and effectively a message that's that that's it should be a basic component of any kind of um any kind of situation you find yourself in um and how many times have we seen people who have frankly maybe just been accused of things 
and they, you know, end up being found. Um, I, I think back to the the gentleman you mentioned, Brad, who unfortunately had his picture taken, right? And uh, the, of him being asleep. And he was just a guy who happened to fall asleep because he wasn't feeling well. And meanwhile, yep. you know, all these inferences were, ta- were, were, were projected upon him. So I think it is 100% something that should be uh, more normalized. But I find it's very odd that the media don't, don't um, recognize that as well and push back. I think, you know, that's just, just um, it, it, it should be just a basic understanding that when you need professional help, you get it whether it's accountants or lawyers or, or communications professionals. Well, one of the things I say in my Substack is that um, is that uh, Alexander uh, Pazatsky, the, the the author, and is a reporter and has dealt no no a, a business reporter, so she has dealt with communications people in the past many many times over, and I know uh, as a messenger who has been metaphorically shot many many times that reporters don't always like the answers that they get, and for the record. Um, Communications people don't always like the questions they get, but we still answer them, or the good ones do anyway, um, uh, recognizing that the reporter's doing their job. And and I was a bit surprised that, that this author uh, took a shot at comms people and not recognizing that they were just doing their jobs. And I thought it was a bit of a cop-out that because she was unable to get you know, uh, both sides nice and black and white and tidied up and and, and wrapped up in a bow um, that, that somehow communications people were, were to blame for that when this is a, so, you know, a very complex and wild story. I don't think, he, I think the reader certainly understands that you're not going to have a nice tidy story. Otherwise, it would just be, you know, an 800 page news story and that would be it. Is one of the well, problems, Warren, though? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, John. I was going to say, Warren, you must see that with media training a lot, right? Like, I've often heard people calling media training like an unfair advantage yeah. or an unfair tactic to to equip a spokesperson with. Yeah, that's what I was just going to talk about. It's actually like there's media training doesn't mean one thing, and PR doesn't mean one thing. There's a spectrum, right? And there's a spectrum. Uh, for, on one end, you have people doing you know, truthfulness, timeliness, transparency, telling our story, getting it out there. And on the other end, you have people using those tools in a um, in an artificial way, in a deceptive way, uh, in a weaselly kind of way, and so, and this is going to be a, a, a simplified thing, and I, I can imagine talking about this for hours with you guys. But I think bad PR is often very visible, and great PR is often invisible. It's behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the best crises, a lot of the best managed crises, never made it to the headlines because they were addressed and dealt with quickly and kind of put out and you know no one really sees that we see the politician who's not answering the question we see you know the velvet ropes and they try to hold people back we see the the weaselly statement from you know the grocery chain uh, responding to uh, stories about inflation and so i feel like um part of the job that i have in these media training sessions that i do and i just talked about this with a group the other day at a hospital is there's a uh, a used car salesman kind of um stereotype of, of media trainers and public relations people that they're trying to be slick and spin the story and put lipstick on a pig and, and all of that. And of course, there's elements of that to the story. But um, I, I feel like a lot of that reputation is from people who do this poorly. And then it just kind of spills over on the rest of us. And so when they say, oh, the communications people, same thing with lawyers, right? Not a lot of people have great things to say about lawyers, but you need them. But 
you need them both. When you're having a corporate crisis, you have to have your lawyers there. You have to have your communications people there. They have to have those debates in the boardroom. And ultimately, it's the CEO or the executive team who makes the decision or the board of directors. But, um, you know, you would never go to your communications person for legal advice. But people take communications advice from lawyers all the time, which is terrible, terrible yeah. advice. 100%. Because they're looking at it through these blinders. And they're well-intentioned, but they are only looking at legal liability, the court of law. But the court of public opinion, as we all know, is just as important. Good lawyers know that too, Warren. Yeah, I mean, I've that's worked true. with some really good lawyers who get it and they say, well, this is a communications issue. And I've worked with some lawyers who, you know, uh, to, to your point there, we'll, we'll, we'll try to, uh, you know, make it a, uh, make it a legal issue when in fact it's not. But, um, but yeah, I just think, you know, if you can, and I say this in my sub stack, if you can, uh, if you can afford it, um, and, and she refers to wealthy people and wealthy companies. Uh, and in fact, um, uh, you know, people should know that uh, business insurance covers crisis communications counsel. Hmm. I didn't know that. It does, yeah. That's I just bought business insurance, <laughs> yeah. and there's a. It, I can I can hire I can hire one of you two guys if I get into trouble here if I get canceled for anything I may have said. Man, oh man. Um, anything else we want to wrap up with? Anything we haven't discussed about this one, or any other any of the other topics? I would just keep your eye on, uh, I keep your eye on, um, I think how video continues to drive how, uh, issues and crises are managed. I think that's, I know that's like probably saying an obvious point, but, um, the more and more I, I see the way that, um, uh, the, the two sort of two dominant platforms, Instagram and TikTok are, are driving the way people consume information. Mm -hmm. I think video is going to only increasingly become a, a bigger, bigger part of this. And to, to Brad's point about choosing the right professional, um, you know, I work with a lot of great lawyers too, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're experts in video. Mm. So <laughs> need a communications professional. And before we go, a, a, a parting thought about, um, I think you mentioned the one of the firms that was hired by one of the Rogers folks was Navigator. Why? Why is it? And not to take shots at company, they seem to be doing fairly well. But like, why is it that we always know who has hired Navigator? Why is that part of the story? Like when I when I came up in the business, you were supposed to be behind the scenes, invisible, helping out. It's almost, and I don't know if I'm mischaracterizing this, but it's almost like they'll use the crisis of the day as the marketing for the next crisis. Or am I getting that wrong? Well, I, in fairness, Martha Rogers, who was the uh, one of the, the sisters to, to Edward, who was really the one who was fighting him on this this change that he had the he had the legal right, and ultimately the court sided with Edward. But she was they were fighting it out in court, um, and she. So I encourage anybody to go on go on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it this week, uh, and and look up her um her her tweets to her brother and uh and and she invoked navigators in quite a bit because mm -hmm. they were working for him he in you know uh, to his credit never responded uh publicly but uh, she was uh, it, it was quite something i mean and i think it really did um it it it, it brought that issue really up to the to you know to to the top for people i mean if it weren't for martha rogers tweets i think perhaps uh, most of us may not have even heard of this so um it you know like anything on social yeah. media um it, it caused um the mainstream media to to have a look at that and start to 
oh, maybe there's something here. And so it started to really, you know, beyond the Globe and Mail, but, you know, uh, television started to cover it because it was, yeah. it was juicy. It was juicy. But is, is that model going to be in five years from now, is there still going to be a place for massive crisis management firms like this who charge, you know, really outrageous rates when, when look and you know just to look at our guest here today you know you can you can email brad and have a top communications guy in in your office counseling you uh, or or Paranac, you're in the same business as well is um is there going to be a time five years ten years from now when that that starts to go more kind of solopreneur small or is, or is there always going to be a place for those big big companies just that you know no one got fired for hiring ibm kind of thing I think there's probably room. There's going to be a room for a variety of providers. That's a very diplomatic response. Well, I think I think John. I think I think you're right, John. I think you know, uh, you know, initially perhaps you just need you know, there's one person in the room to to talk the issue through. But depending on what you want to do, if you got a big campaign or you got lots of money, you want to do this or that, then you're going to need maybe more people at the table. And, and I think solopreneurs like uh, like you and I, Warren, maybe you know you. Then you, that's when you, you bring others to the table um, and subcontract or whatever. Yeah. There's different business models. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, Navigator is, uh, is a firm that, that I think most people have actually heard of. Um, yeah. And uh, it is interesting. They, they, they are in the news quite a bit. I, can't, I couldn't speak to um, their marketing model at all, but uh, mm. it's, it, it is, it's interesting. Their marketing model seems to be to let people know that they're working with a certain person who's on the front page of the paper, like Hockey Canada, for example, so that when when your company's having a crisis, that's who you call. But hey, seems to be working right. for them. So um, I recommend people check out Brad's Substack. I just subscribed to it personally while we're online here. Uh, Brad, where can people oh, find you. you? Where can they follow you? Um, what would you recommend? Is it, is it Twitter? What's your platform? And how can people follow your Substack? Uh, so real simple, I would just, uh, you know, because nobody's going to have a pen and paper, presumably, and right in front of them, but bradross.ca, uh, and all the links are there uh, the um, to my, uh, my Substack and, and LinkedIn, and um, we can talk about Twitter another day, if you like, Warren. I, uh, last summer, deleted my, my Twitter account. Uh, I had 30-plus thousand followers, and I'd had enough of them, uh, and now I'm back because... I'm going to just be frank. I, I, that platform is important for me to be on in this business, to see what's going on, to see what people are saying. As much as I prefer threads because it seems to be a nicer place to be. Um, so uh, Brad Ross comms is, uh, is my Twitter. Uh, I think I've got uh, 17 followers. I think they're all porn bots to be frank. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, you lost, you didn't, your, your account is gone and all your followers from before are gone. Everything's gone. Oh my god! Why didn't you just like kind of like put it on? Like... I don't know, Warren. I don't know. It was just a bad, bad decision making at the time. I oh just, my god! I had so I just had enough of hearing about Elon Musk and just uh, and just this platform was just being a, a complete um, toxic soup. And I, so yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of forethought there. But you know, hey, lesson learned. Well, I'm never joining Threads, so we have something sort of in common. Okay. There. <laughs> Man. Anyway, um, thank you very much, Brad, for being with us. Well, thank, very, thanks for inviting me. I really, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. And very happy that you are um, alive and kicking and feeling great uh, with this you know, huge anniversary coming up tomorrow of your heart attack. I'm sure you've got some social media stuff coming out around that. 
<laughs> I don't. I'm just going to pretend it never happened. But thank you. I appreciate that so much. Paranak, any parting words of wisdom? Oh, I think that's a great moment to end on. And we get some good advice for people from Brad earlier. All right, folks. Thanks very much. And we will see you next time. What's happening? Tell me what's going down. Make yourself at home. This is Reputation Town. Talking public relations to corporate reputations, media communications, all types of situations. Hey, Reputation Town. Reputation Town. Warren and John. Tell them how it's going down. Let's go. The Reputation Town Podcast.